0: everyone, this is the Loose Cannon, David McBee, and welcome back to another exciting episode of This is the XFL 2020 Podcast Show. So glad to have you join us, and I'm doing this episode a little bit different. My sound might sound a little different, because I'm actually doing this on the road. Um... Couldn't have Joey the Dragon Shaw join us this week. Unfortunately, he had some technical issues trying to join me on the road. But this should be a fun addition as this week we are going to go back in time to the Alliance of American Football, the creation, the rise, the, I guess you could call it the incredible rise and the spectacular collapse of the AAF. Of course, uh, a lot of people said, hey, Luce Cannon, this is an XFL show. Why in the world are you talking about the AAF on this show? And the reason is pretty simple. Uh, I think there's a lot that the XFL could learn about what worked well with the AAF, and there was some things that worked really well. Uh, The football, that worked really well. The financing, uh, not so much. But I think there's a lot the XFL can learn about it. So we're just going to do a little retro episode today. Uh, should be a shorter edition. But uh, real quick, you know, talking about the AAF. Of course, the AAF came together uh, very quickly. And the really cool thing, if you really research the AAF, is there's a lot of XFL ties to the AAF. And it starts at the very top with Mr. Charlie Ebersol, who helped create the AAF. Of course, Charlie is the son of Dick Ebersol, who helped create the XFL back in 2001 with Vince McMahon. Um, Charlie is the son of Dick Ebersol. Of course, Dick Ebersol, huge name in the world of sports, uh, president of NBC Sports, uh, you know, had the Olympics at NBC. I mean, they were the top of the line in sports for a long time. Of course, uh, when NBC lost the NFL, Eventually, they ended up partnering and trying to create their own league with the XFL, and we all know kind of how the first one uh, ended up, but Charlie Ebersole also created the 30 for 30, this is the XFL documentary, and for any fans of the XFL, I would say really watch that that video. I thought it was a very good uh, program that they put together really explaining what happened with the XFL, and Really, during the creation of that video and uh, that documentary is when Charlie started to get the itch to possibly start his own football league. Uh, I remember he had a conversation, I believe it was with Tom Viet, the former GM of the Orlando Rage, who told him, yeah, spring football will work if you just don't screw it up. Well, unfortunately, the AAF ended up screwing it up. But, you know, Charlie took that advice and started really thinking about getting involved. And there's a really poignant thing on the uh, end of the documentary, uh, a moment where Vince McMahon and, you know, he's sitting down with Dick Ebersol, and they're talking. And, you know, Dick asked Vince, hey, would you ever try it again? Of course, Vince is a billionaire now. He was a millionaire uh, during the creation of the original XFL. Of course, after the WWE went public, he uh, became a billionaire. And, you know, there wasn't really a true response, if I remember. And it's been a while since I've seen the documentary. But that point has always stuck out in my mind. So then when I heard Charlie Ebersol was starting the uh, the new, uh, a new football league, you know, you could see a lot of it tied just by his love of spring football that really comes out in that documentary. So the first thing uh, Charlie reached out to, of course, he got his father, uh, Dick Ebersol to be an advisor during the creation of this league. And, um, you know, Dick said you really need to get some top-of-the-line NFL guys involved with it, guys that have a lot of experience in that. Uh, so... Uh, Charlie reached out to Bill Polian, and Bill Polian, that's a name NFL fans have heard a lot of. He was an NFL executive that built the Bills dynasties and made four straight Super Bowls in the early 90s. Some spectacular teams. You're talking Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, Andre Reid. Uh, you know, if it wasn't for the Dallas Cowboys, they probably, and of course a kick going uh, wide right, they probably would have won multiple Super Bowls. Um of course, after that, he got involved with the Indianapolis Colts, and the Colts team ended up making two Super Bowls, including winning one, and, and who could forget that team? You had Peyton Manning on it, Marvin Harrison, I mean, a spectacular group. Um, So the focus was really on bringing in top-notch former NFL players and coaches, and when you look at the list of the guys that were brought in, it was amazing. In the administration, you have guys like Heinz Ward and Troy Palamalu uh, to go along with Dick Ebersaw, many other former NFL players like uh, Daryl moose Johnson uh, so a great a very strong group that was brought in, and that kind of gave it an air of legitimacy right off the bat. Uh, then, if you looked out the coaches, the coaches that ended up were recruiting to be coaches in the AAF. Uh, Steve Spurrier, Mike Martz, Mike Singletary, Rick Neuheisel, Mike Riley, Dennis Erickson. You know, I'm talking, you got the old ball coach. You got Mike Martz who took the Rams to a Super Bowl. You have Mike Singletary, NFL Hall of Famer, Rick Neuheisel, great Colorado Buffalo coach. Uh, Mike Riley coached in the NFL and also coached in the original World League of American Football. Uh, Dennis Erickson uh, was a coach of a lot of those great Miami Hurricane teams of the early 90s. So, It appeared that the AAF was being built for long-term success. Uh, They focused, following a strategy that the 2001 XFL followed, uh, having teams in uh, cities that didn't really have NFL teams, uh, such as Birmingham, uh, Memphis, Orlando, Salt Lake, San Antonio, and San Diego. Uh, Then you throw on top of that, so six out of the eight cities had no NFL team. Then you had Atlanta and Arizona, which both did have teams. But, uh, you know, you could kind of see the the structure was, hey, let's give the uh, fan base that doesn't have a team an opportunity to have a team to follow. Uh, players were signed to three-year contracts. So unlike you know, the XFL, uh, the original XFL, and then some of the other leagues, it was a long-term, hey, you're signed to a three-year contract. You can make up to 250000 over three years. So a lot of excitement with that. Players are like, hey, stability, they're into it for the long haul. And that's what you heard a lot with the AAF was, they're really into it for the long haul. They expect, hey, we're going to lose money year one. That's our expectations. However, long term, eventually, by year three, four, and five, we're going to start being profitable. Um, so the players felt pretty confident when they initially joined the AAF. Uh, uniforms were created through starter. Um. Uh, You know, some great uniforms that they had. And check out the Memphis Express uniform. I still think that was one of the best design uh, uniforms that I've seen. I absolutely loved it. And maybe it could be because we did cover Memphis Express games. So I might be a little partial. Uh, So... You know, a lot of excitement building up. TV relationship with the AF. They reached out. They got a relationship with Turner Sports, CBS Sports Network, NFL Network, Bleacher Report. Their opening week game was going to be on CBS primetime on a Saturday night. Uh, and right off the bat, they're going to be taking on a very good, I believe it was the Rockets and the Thunder uh, that were going to be on ABC and ESPN that night. So, you know, they were going to have competition right off the bat. Uh, You know, financing uh, was done through a gentleman, I believe his name was Fowler, uh, Ricky Fowler. And uh, or Reggie Fowler, I'm sorry, he's a businessman that was actually introduced to Charlie Ebersole by Gene Upshaw. Uh, But Reggie Fowler was a businessman. He offered $50 million in equity, a $120 million line of credit. Uh, He was a one-time USFL linebacker and at one time had a small share of the Minnesota Vikings, a minority share. Uh, So on the outside, you're looking at, hey, the financing's there, the structure's there. The TV deals are there. The support's there. So going into week one, a lot of excitement, a lot of buzz. Uh, And ultimately, week one was a huge success. Uh, Lots of excitement, great coverage. Whereas the XFL got destroyed by ESPN and a lot of those other organizations, um, the AAF did not. It was getting a lot of... um, Good coverage right off the bat. Week one, they averaged close to 20,000 fans. And who could forget the huge hit in the San Antonio versus San Diego game uh, that was, it went viral. It was a monster hit on, uh, I think it was Mike Berkovy who got just absolutely crushed. So, week one, hey, it's off to a good start. Um, you know, after it was done, ratings in week one were higher than that of the NBA game that was the same night. Um, however, just days after that original game went through, cracks began to show in the AAF. Um, in week one, there was a delay in paychecks, and initially the AAF front office said, hey, that is due to, uh, you know, we changed our, our uh, providers, our payroll people. Uh, that's the reason for the delay. Well, what we now know was Fowler's accounts were frozen due to a fraud indictment. And the AAF, the cash flow just stopped. So after week one, they're like, hey, this is about to become a one or two week league and we're going out of business. So they reached out to a gentleman named Tom Dundon. And Tom Dundon, he owns the the, uh, Carolina uh, hockey team. He's a billionaire, uh, you know, self-made man. If you see him, you know, any pictures you see of him, he's not one of those, I'm going to be wearing a suit, I'm going to be looking like a million bucks. No, he looks like he's any fan going to a game. Uh, When he did his AAF uh, uh, broadcast, I think he had his Carolina Hurricanes, uh, you know, hoodie and stuff on. Uh, So, you know, 47-year-old guy, but very successful and the NFL had actually vetted him about possibly purchasing the Carolina Panthers. So Dundon was initially very intrigued about the possibility of getting involved in this football league. Uh, I know he reached out to a lot of lot of media, a lot of other NFL guys, and to kind of find out what was going on. And the word he initially got was, hey, it can be a success. They've just run into financing issues. So he accepted the deal. It was like a four-page agreement. Um admittedly, Dundon later would say, I did net not vet it properly. And I think he called himself an idiot in one of the quotes that I read. So, you know, with Dundon coming in, they're thinking, hey, now we've got our $250 million over three years uh, chance for us to build this league up. You know, Dundon, of course, came in, and one of the big things that the AAF was pushing was their app. They had an app that was supposed to change the game, eventually to become a gambling app. Uh, The app, for all the things that I read, it was pushed out way too soon. Um, Like, a lot of things with the AAF ended up being ultimately very unorganized and very rushed. Um, That app was forced out before it was ready. And, I mean, it was still a pretty cool app. I mean, I admit I used it um, more to check out what was going on around the league, things like that, the, you know, trying to predict plays and things like that. That never worked real good because it was behind on its real time. But, uh, you know, Dundon wasn't never really, he never really showed a lot of interest in the app. And immediately as a smart businessman, he got in there, and after he really saw a lot of the financials and breakdowns said, holy crap. What in the world did I get myself into? Even though the football was doing fine, week two, another success, had about 20,000 in attendance. Ratings stayed consistent. Of course, week one, they were on CBS. After that, they kind of they were showing their games on CBS Sports Network, NFL Network, but the ratings were very comparable to a mi- uh, major league hockey and National Hockey League. So for a first-year league, that's good news. So... Overall, that was going pretty good, but when he broke down and saw some of the finances and the spending that was being done, Dundon immediately said, "Whoa, you know we're going to make you know forecast to make twelve million in revenue, and it costs about a hundred million to run this league. Uh, the only way this league will be successful is it's got to be a fifty million dollar league. So we're going to have to slash costs. So immediately Dundon comes in and starts uh, slashing costs." And which really impacted a lot of things that was going with on with the back office. A lot of flights that previously weren't being questioned were all of a sudden, you know, hey, why are you taking that flight? Do you really need to take first class? You know, things that you would do for a business. You have to make sure that your expenses are good expenses, that we're just not throwing money away. So Dundon really started uh, cracking down on that. And... Over the next several weeks, the football still maintained very good, was getting positive reviews. Uh, ratings did start to dip just a little bit, but they stayed mostly consistent. Attendance did eventually dip from about 19,000 to about 15,000. But for a first year league, you know, that's not bad. Uh, they were very happy with that. However, you know, they end up getting to either week seven or eight, and I can't remember off the top of my mind, but, uh, you know, they they get pretty far in the season. We're just a couple of weeks away from the playoffs and eventually the championship game, and Dundon just shuts the league down. He said, you know, it's not going to be financially viable. The structure's not going to work. Uh, yeah, the football is great. Everyone said, yeah, the football was working, but the fan support even getting 15,000 was still not what he anticipated and the revenue just wasn't going to cut it and he just thought hey i need to just cut my losses and get out while i can so he ultimately ends up you know closing out the AAF he he shuts it down and which was very disappointing because there was some good football going on. There were some good teams. Steve Spurrier's Orlando team was definitely the class of the AAF and would have been hard to beat. Uh looked like they were probably on their way to a championship. But they ended up shutting the league down. And ultimately, a lot of it came down to you know, Dundon stepping in the league and the league wasn't what he thought it would be. And a lot of that's on the AAF. Their, their, their structure, while appearing to be really strong, their financial structure was not. Uh, the investor issue, the cash flow issues they had with uh, with Fowler at the beginning really impacted the league. And also kind of put that initial payroll issue, put the league in a negative light. Um You know, the lack of a major TV deal, I think, also impacted. Yes, CBS, they had a good deal with CBS to broadcast that initial opening week game, and then I think they would also broadcast some playoff games later. But as a fan of the AAF, it was very difficult to find those games to watch. Now, if they were on Turner Sports, that was easy to find. CBS Sports Network was difficult. You had to subscribe to the CBS Sports Network. Uh, NFL Network... You know, I'll tell you, my local TV package does not include the NFL Network, so I wasn't able to watch those games. I had to go and watch them online. The Bleacher Report games was primarily online. So a lot of them you had to search. It wasn't just like, hey, I'm going to turn on Fox and CBS like I do when I watch the NFL, ESPN, NBC, and watch those games. Also, I think uh, some cities did not support the original, I mean, the AAF. I'm talking Salt Lake, Arizona, and Memphis. Salt Lake and Arizona both had around 10,000 in attendance a game, an average. Uh, Memphis had about 12,000, which was so disappointing because great uniforms, fantastic setup over in Memphis, but could never get the fan passion behind it. And I think that's a lot of things. I think, you know, just specifically talking about Memphis, the Memphis Express is there's things that they could have done to try to ignite more fan interest, including offering uh, ticket deals. The XFL right now, the XFL 2020, is offering some great deals on, hey, you can get four tickets for $44, you know, specials like that, throughout Christmas, trying to get a a good fan base out. Um, A loss of money, too, on the technology app ended, you know, really impacted... You know, they wasn't going to get any return. There was all this money, which was great. It had the potential, but it never had the time to develop and reach its full potential. Uh, some of the things that worked well with the AF, the football. You know, you won't find hardly anyone that will say, hey, the football was not good with the AF." The football delivered. And I think that's what happens when you have some long-term NFL executives, uh, players involved with it, the football delivered. Plus, with the great coaches they had, no disappointment there. And also, another positive thing is there was more portrayal in the press, a positive portrayal. It wasn't Vince McMahon going toe-to-toe with Bob Costas, Costas like what happened in 2001 it was ESPN, hey, analyzing it. Uh, You know, there was a couple bloopers. I remember there was a a blooper. I can't remember if it was on. I think it might have been NFL Network where uh, I think it was Rod Woodson. I might be wrong on that. This is what happens when you go straight off the cuff. But Rod Woodson, you know, made the comment. uh, Well, nobody's watching anyway. And it was a live mic. And, of course, he tried to claim a bunch of things. Well, I was saying it about uh, this, this, and this. I wasn't saying about the league. Bullcrap. We know what you said. And I hope it was Rod Woodson. If it's not him, whoever said it, Bull crap on them. But, you know, besides those couple instances, though, a more positive portrayal in the press. And another reason I thought they were doing well in the football realm is they wasn't trying to put the NFL out of business. Vince McMahon in 2001 came and said, this is the extreme fun league. This is not the no fun league. Uh, You know, we're going to go head to head with the uh, NFL and we're going to put them on their toes. Ultimately, They didn't do that, but the AAF and their approach is, hey, this is giving guys an opportunity. Some really good guys that was great players in college, just didn't quite make the cut for the NFL, but still fantastic players that can put on some exciting football. But ultimately, when you look at the rise and the fall of the AAF, number one, it just comes down to the almighty dollar and the financial issues that the aaf ran into was something they just couldn't overcome. They made a deal with the devil and they danced, you know, in the pale moonlight and unfortunately, they were unable to overcome those issues. Then they bring in a buyer who in the books looks like, "Hey, this is going to be a strong long-term commitment." But he didn't like He didn't follow the same vision that Charlie Ebersole put into it. Uh, You know, of course, when Dundon came on, he actually took Ebersole where he no longer had a vote on the board. So, I mean, that should tell you something right there, but a completely different vision. And it's really sad because Charlie Ebersole had the vision, he had the passion. You could tell he really had a love for spring football and wanted to succeed where his father had failed in 2001. Ultimately, it wasn't Charlie Ebersole's fault. Uh, You know, if you do get an investor, and if you look at their initial long-term plan, even though they were overspending, they still had a lot of good things that could have ultimately been successful. They was going to have to cut expenses. But ultimately, it was a spectacular rise that grabbed a lot of attention, but then a spectacular collapse Within a period of two months, they went from being hyped to being out of business and ultimately the almighty dollar and the lack of it is what caused the collapse of the AAF. I thank everyone for tuning in. I know this was a little, this was a little retro episode, and a lot of this was off the uh, flying off the cuff. So if I did get any exact names or stuff wrong, hey, we're doing our best on it. But we're just having some fun. Next week we will be back. We'll have Joey the Dragon back next week, and we'll be talking the XFL as we are almost down to two months before kickoff. And you need to stay tuned right here for all the info you can get on. The XFL. And from the loose cannon, David McBee, go out, do something nice for someone, and remember, your tomorrows are never guaranteed, like my good old friend Jim Ross says. Have a great week. here from this is the XFL 2020.